Welcome everybody to the third episode of the Holistic Actress today. I am uh, nervous. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Nervous and excited um, to really introduce a special guest, um, my teacher, um, writer, director, uh, acting coach, founder of the Susan Batson Studio, and son of Susan Batson, because I think that you're not you're not gonna get offended if I say so. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> I better get over that bullshit. I really better get over that bullshit. I would hope not. So yes, son of Susan Batson, indeed. Welcome to my podcast. Thank this you. is wonderful. I love the fact you're doing a podcast. This is all wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm doing a yeah. podcast and I am talking about something you're very familiar with, mm -hmm. uh, which is change, um, which is a big word because everybody talk about change and it can be applied in many different ways. Mm -hmm. But I think that... Um, as artists, we have to understand change somehow, or maybe live the change every day of our life, be a constant transitional uh, path that yeah. is very, very complicated. And first and foremost, I want to say that I really, um, I'm really happy you are here because you are my teacher. Uh, I've been to the Susan Batson studio, thanks for the visa program. Full um, student, I don't remember the name, but M1 yeah. visa program. Yeah, M1 student visa for two years. Like that's right. Two years in the end, and that's been that's been the craziest time of my life, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. That's exactly, and honestly, it's been the beginning of a big um, change where you have been catalyst and i have to say that you have this incredible gift of recognizing people's um people i don't mm. know what but people you know anything in people uh and so so yeah for this reason i think that you know a lot about change and transformation mm. and also because you have been dealing with Susan Batson since you were born. So I imagine- <laughs> I love you said dealing. That's exactly right. Dealing with my mother since the day I came out of the womb, indeed. <laughs> okay. indeed. Okay, so as you know, I've prepared a couple, a couple, just a couple of questions for you, but um, yeah, we'll see where we're gonna go with those. See, well, yeah, we'll see what we, well, we'll start, let's start with the first one. Why don't you ask the first one? Okay, I'm going to ask you the first one because it's really important. Okay. Um, so how's, um, how's changed your relationship with acting over the years? Mm. Since acting is really, really something that you learned uh, in a very early age. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I, I come from uh, a father who's an actor and a mother who's an actress, which is a horrible fate. I wish this on no soul in the world. But even worse than that, my mother taught class inside of our apartment. So this was all osmotically taken in. And uh, I hated it. 
Marte. I could not stand acting. I couldn't stand actors. I wanted nothing ever to do with it. I thought they were taking my mother's time. I thought they were stealing my life. They were always around me. Oh, I hated it. So it was an absolute shock that I am doing this for a living now. It is. It shocks me every day that I do this for a living when I was so adamant about never wanting to do it. And I never wanted to do it because I always felt my mother put them first and me second. Put her actor first, her teaching first, and me second. Uh, And I thought that was a horrible trade-off. I thought that was unfair. And I blamed it on her passion as much as I blamed it on her. So there was this whole feeling of having my mom being taken uh, at a very early age by this thing. So when she started to bring me up and I started to critique and I just started to have a facility to just be in class with these older people and talk, I was like, oh, okay, it's about people. That's really what it's about. That's really what's interesting about acting is it's about human beings. And that got me curious, right? But, you know, look, I, I can always act. I come from two actors. So, yeah, I was in school plays and did this and did that. But I really didn't want anything to do with it. I was going to go to law school. I went to one of the best schools in the country uh-huh. uh, to study political science so I could go to Harvard Law. And one of my friends looked at me in my second year of university and was like, you are out of your mind. You've been writing since you were a little kid. You teach, you coach, what do you, you direct, you know, what, what are you talking about? And uh, the minute he said that, and because he's known me for that long, he knew me since I was maybe 12, 13 years old. I, I took a second. <laughs> you know I, mean? I took a real second and went, holy shit. Yeah, this has all been a path to serve my grandmother. Because uh, my grandmother was essentially the matriarch of the family, a civil rights hero in Boston, and essentially my father for all intents and purposes. So I was trying to fulfill something for her. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, this was all, I mean, this, it, it shocks me to this day, Marte, that I do this for a living. Shocks me. Do you love, do you, and how's now your relationship with acting? Oh, now I, um, now I'm curious. That's that, that's what started about 30 years ago. I started to get curious, really curious. So I started to want to study different things and, think about psychology and connection to acting and what a story is and how we live moment to moment and all these little things started to really inspire my mind to go and search. I think that's really what happened. And so now I'm very curious about it. I think it's the hardest goddamn thing to do in the world. I really do. I think it is one of the most difficult professions in the world. It requires a great uh knowledge base from a lot of different things uh and it requires you to be there somehow whether it's through your imagination whether it's through a costume or whether it's through your heart you got to find a way there um and that's real difficult it, it, it it's specific the craft because human beings are specific and also we're we're unknown and we're unpredictable and we're sensitive and angry and hopeful and joyous we're all these contradictions so that that keeps me curious about human beings and so that's why i think i 
I fell in love with the, the craft. I love that you often said to us as acting students, um, acting is not therapy. Yeah. Acting is not going to make you a better person. <laughs> And, but in the meantime, I think, and I feel, I felt, and I, I am in this, uh, in my journey of, uh, as an artist and as a human being who wants to become a better person, mm -hmm. so I'm trying to find a way to balance those two things. And, you know, there is this thing about, you know, being curious about human beings, psychology, and uh, willing to this connection you were just mentioned before like i'm curious now because i want to know more how do you find this link especially since you are a person that um does therapy mm. therapy and you know you take care of your health that's <laughs> suspect when i can <laughs> i can try yeah I, no i think you know and I, I hear what you're asking i mean what's what's interesting to me about what I've discovered through the craft is I've discovered more about what I don't know that I don't know. You know, I think that was what was really interesting to me. Human beings are so strange. They're so individuated. They're so specific. So this whole kind of investment in all the things that make up acting, including story, Right, story is the the fundamental baseline of acting, and story is how we communicate. Story is how we build our systems. Story is how we interact as a civilization. How we build laws, um, story and myth. Right. So there, there's a thing to me about wanting, first of all, wanting to see actors do something to me, like move me in some way. And I think that's because, you know, there was a real elitist sensibility in my house about great acting, right? So it, it, great acting is supposed to touch you in some way, uh, whether it, it's not supposed to just entertain, it's supposed to do something internal to an audience. And I think once I got clear on that, I was like, oh, okay, so really what my mom does is she's a soul technician. You know, she takes these elements of the soul and tries to give you a way in which to embrace it. Uh, and she nurtures the soul and she nurtures this thing about you. Express, say, your heart, your being, your emotions. She, she does that uh, in a very profound way. And it took me a long time to get clear how wonderful and necessary that gift is, right? Like we need people to take care of our souls in some way, to take care of who we are. And art is in general cultural therapy and actors, because you're using your whole being as your instrument, have to deal with all this internal shit that no other, art, no other artistic discipline uh, forces you to deal with. So yeah, there's something about getting into acting that does get you to see human beings, gets you to see yourself a little. It doesn't fix you, but you see something. And then if you follow it through because you love to do it, then you feel better about it. You feel better about yourself, right? Anybody who follows through with what's in their heart to do feels better, feels more proactive, empowered, 
effic- you know, efficacious. They can, they feel like they can make a change in their life. Um, so yeah, I, I think it can help in that way, but no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't therapeutically take care of anything. You know what I mean? Like as therapists would tell you, a lot of actors we do the exact opposite right. of, what, of what a therapist suggests. Right. Um, so, yeah. so maybe it's not therapeutic, but <laughs> it's um, a spiritual path. Yeah. That it is. There's something spiritual on becoming an actor or yeah. in any other kind of form of, of art. I can say so. I think I feel so. Um, but I believe that somehow in the spiritual path there is some enlightenment, which yeah. for me is therapeutic. And um well, I don't want to get into trauma and stuff, because uh I think it can become too boring speaking about (laughs) (laughs) but i yeah you know but some people say okay i'm 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 scared to be to do acting because you know then you get stuck into the suicidal thoughts you're not gonna be you're gonna get crazy you're gonna be um it's gonna be dangerous and i remember like one class online that we took uh during covid one of the first classes um I was in New York at that time and and I remember Susan answering to somebody saying this like uh what about all the actors that uh took their lives uh, and other stuff and she said I actually believe that acting is going to save you. Yeah. I don't think that acting is going to kill you in any possible way. Because yeah. if acting is going to kill you it means that you do have problems and issues that has nothing to do with your soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Separated from your artist. Yeah. And I think this is important, right? Because, I mean, it's important. I mean, I remember one of our first um, conversations, you asked me to separate me from Chanel number five. You know, from my actress. Like, her name is Chanel. And I know you do often this thing, you know, advising actors to create separation like she is something and you don't have necessarily be that that entity it's a part of you right but how is it important this separation well i think it's important to remind you that you're not the character right that it's still you're still in a craft right see that that's the thing people kind of get a little bit confused by and then therefore assume it's dangerous, right? Because they're using you, you're using elements of who you are to do this thing, as opposed to a writer who has a pen, has a computer, a canvas, or a painter, a, a, a stage or a floor for a dancer. It's you. And I think that requires some distance between you and what you're doing. Now, I don't think it's necessary for everybody, but I do think at some point, because the craft is about your generosity to it, right? You got to give to it. So you got to keep giving to it and giving to it. So if you are kind of making it about you, your ego takes over and therefore you're not going to give anything. You're just going to be, you know, trying to get to a specific place and then you're making the, the... the art transactional and that's dangerous right so it it, to me it gives you just a little bit enough to remind you it's a job this is a job 
like any other job. It's really fucking difficult, but it's a job. And if you can get that clear, you get very blue collar about learning the job and you get more disciplined and determined and focused. And then you start to really look at, because actors are horrible with planning and scheduling. But when you look at it as a job, you get better at it. You, you kind of know who to talk to, how to set up something, what help to ask for. The, when, it, when it's all about you and your shit, it's, it's difficult to get pragmatic. You know what I mean? Like you start sitting there going, I don't know if I can call my agent today because I'm just feeling like, yo, man, shut up. That's your job. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think also that many times you mentioned, if we want to talk about super objective, like an actor's super objective cannot be fulfilling your own needs. Well, 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 your super objective can, because your super objective is an intention. That's an engine that drives you moment to moment. 98, 99% of the time, either we don't know what our intention really is until late, or it never gets, never gets met, right? Like you are always running to try to get the intention filled. Sometimes we do. Most of the time we don't, but it participates in our vulnerability. Because the minute we don't get what our this force inside of us is leading us to, we start to feel the same thing we felt for years and years and years, this core feeling of something unfulfilled. And that's how it connects to the need, right? Because the need is a core sensation in direct connection to a character's mom and dad. And it's an unfulfilled sensation. It's not what's missing. And that, as you know, that's where everyone screws up. Well, I didn't have a father. No, you did. See, I didn't have a dad either, right? But I saw him once a year, maybe, <laughs> right? You know, but he was he was in my life, right? right? But he, it was not a father. Do you know what I mean? He was not in any way that. So there's an interesting thing when we start to go, oh, how much does that connect to in our moment-to-moment adult life, right? <laughs> like how many sensitivities, perceptions, things we feel, choices we make come out of, you know, that that sensation. So that's the interesting thing about how intention works with vulnerability, you know, because it it, it it reminds us of, oh, God, damn, that just feels like mom, right? You're sitting there at a grocery store and, you know, the lady bumped you and the way she looked at you brought up all this shit, you know, and all your attention was to pay for your fucking groceries and go home. And now you're having a thing. Right? You got a thing now because of a look and a touch and a bump. Actors need to know what that thing connects to, right? We as human beings, we don't, we can't operate like that, right? Because the minute we do, we're going to stay in that grocery store and fight for our life and scream at the woman and let them know, you're like my mother. And so we can't do that. And that's why we have this great thing called the public persona. It's the thing we mask that masks that vulnerability, right? So that allows us to interact with others and, you know, go through the world and not freak out or be Donald Trump every five seconds, right? Like if our needs were all out, we'd be Hitler, Idi Amin, Donald Trump, we'd be a tyrant, we'd be Putin, we'd be these tyrants, right? Because we'd just be so narcissistic and egocentric. (laughs) So, right, so we have to mask it. And that's how the public persona Again, all works with the super objective. That's the great thing. It all works with our intention. 
how we mask our vulnerability works with why we made the choice to have this intention, right? So I walk into a party and I either want everyone to see me or no one to see me. <laughs> I either want to be the life of the party or I want to be completely invisible, all in connection to this mask that I keep to cover the vulnerability. Yeah, everything begins with the need. And what's your need? Need for a father. Need for a father. I thought it was for years a need to be seen. Mm -hmm. But really what I was, uh, what I had to really open up to was no matter what, uh, my mother could never raise me like a father. No matter how much I wanted her to, no matter how tough she was in my head, she was you know, a dominating force uh, in my life, my friends' lives for that matter. Like, you know, she was 4'11", but six foot three. She still cannot be my dad. So once the recognition, which happened very quick, because my dad abused me, that he wasn't a father or a parent, right? And then it became, well, I need her to do all this. And she never could. So when I settled into that, when I was an adult, I really started to go, oh, that's why I'm so frustrated with her. That's why there's so much tension in this relationship is I want her to be something she can never be. Uh, and that's when it hit me. Uh, it's a need for a father. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, your need is to have a father. But for a father. For Not have one, just for one. Right. Big difference. <laughs> Big difference. Um. But your relationship with your mom is so, um, I mean, it seems to be really something very uh, solid and. No, I'm maybe making a mistake. I don't know. No, no. I look, the one thing about Susan and I um, is we have a great deal of respect for one another, right? Once I turned 12 years old, and to the age of about 46, I was a horror. I was a horrible, horrible son, screaming at her, fighting with her all the fucking time because my responsibility was to take care of her and she would not let me take care of her. She, the, the, no matter what I tried, no matter how much I committed to this invisible intention, this invisible super objective, she would never let me do it. Of course not. She's the parent, right? So my grandmother said to me when I was five years old, you're going to have to take care of your, your mother. She's crazy. So that's what became my mandate. And I took that literally. Like I took it like, no, this is my job. And she, so I was just so angry, resentful of the responsibility, hating the fact that I couldn't change her. And it wasn't until we had this huge moment um, when I was moving apartments and she helped me out. And I almost collapsed on her because I really needed her help and I had nowhere else to go. And I hated asking uh, her because we, at that point, we, had, we hadn't spoken for about eight months. We went on this <laughs> boycott to not talk to each other for eight months. Um, and she, of course, freaked out and she wanted to keep calling me and I, never, I just didn't want to deal with it until that day. And then I realized, yeah, she's just going to be her. And I still struggle with it. Still, Marte, my son and her have friction because of me. Langston's not like 
angry at his grandmother, he just feels my tension and projects right. it onto him, sure. onto her. Oh my God, I can't even tell you. To the point where I'm so, I, I'm so responsible for this because I'm quick with her. I want her to be the great grand, the grandmother, the perfect grandmother. The same bullshit I dealt with when I was five years old, I deal with with my son and her now. You know, so yeah, I mean, look, the the thing that you could say is, you know, she knows I love her, and you know, we, I, she, I, I know she loves me, and will always be there for her. But God, steady, steady, and stable. <laughs> I don't even know if she would she would agree to that, but loving, yeah, yeah, and also how your life is has been. I don't want to. I don't want to say defined because it's maybe not the right term, but like how Susan Batson yeah. is, it's been kind of you know a big shadow in in your life choices. Yeah. And there is also like a light shadow in that, not just like, oh, yeah. like there's a huge light shadow for all of the things that she has created. But also I think you um, supported her on creating her because yeah. you founded the studio. Like yeah. you were the, always the first one being on the backstage uh, creating stuff for her somehow. I know you founded the studio. I know you're presence in the studio and uh, I mean yeah Susan is a big huge part and the method is a big huge part of the Susan Batson method but you have been a crucial uh, element I guess I think I don't know well yeah I mean so the woman needed infrastructure Marte the classes used to go like this you come in you throw whatever money you had in a jar and you take class for 15 hours this is how she used to run the I it drove me fucking crazy. <laughs> drove me fucking crazy. I was like, what are you doing? Get a structure. Let's see what I can't keep having the lights go off and a bitch. Get a structure. We can make more money. So I, I it, it just became something again as a way of taking care of her. Um, and as a way of kind of finding a way to support myself, you know, I'm going, okay, I can do this because I've been doing it for a long time. Um, and uh, it's a good job, and I like it, and I love teaching, and I love helping people. Um, and she's brilliant and doesn't even want to own it. You know, she doesn't want to own the fact that she's one of the great masters uh, in the world. So I was like, no, fuck this bitch. We're going to make her feel special. <laughs> We're going to find a way. And the original company, Black Nexus, was there to get my mom uh, infrastructure for the studio and get her acting and get my dad acting. That was the first, it was all about production. So wow. it was all about writing and developing material for them. And then you start to recognize we can't earn a living doing that. And then I should have stayed focused on directing and writing. And instead I sucked all that energy out and built this goddamn studio and, <laughs> and literally had to struggle to keep my my artist alive. So it was a real interesting trade-off, you know? But yeah, it's, it was really there to go, she couldn't keep doing it that way. <laughs> like she, tell you, she just couldn't keep doing it that way. But we loved it. I loved it. I love to be locked 15 hours in the studio. <laughs> it's a special thing, man. I like, I, people, yeah. you know, sometimes people tell me, you, you go too long, it's hard to, I'm like, no. It's really not. It's the way we do. 
right? So but, either you know, what I mean? you you learn a lot. That's the whole thing. You learn you about every kind of perception of reality. You lose senses and you play mm -hmm. then because you don't yeah. you don't recognize even who you are, <laughs> what day it is, what you did this morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that that's also important because the great artists they cocoon themselves. They found a way, you know what I mean? You go into the work, whatever your work is, you go all in, you know? And that's how you really make some interesting shit, you know? It, funny shit, crazy shit, interesting shit comes out of that commitment. So, yeah. Lots of boundaries. And yeah. yes. Um, you're, have you been, um, are you born in New York, right? No, I was born in Boston. But we moved to, yeah, we moved to L.A. because she was working as an actress, right? Okay. So we moved to L.A. and then she fucking couldn't stand L.A. She can't drive. Can't drive for shit, Marta. <laughs> couldn't drive a fucking car if you paid her. In fact, I was telling her at four years old, put the fucking car and drive. She had it in neutral half the time. Horrible. Ford Pinto. I get some nightmare stories of driving down fucking uh, Wilshire Boulevard and all these things. Anyway. So, yeah, when we moved, because New York is really where she wanted to be, um, you know, and so, yeah, and then that was it. <laughs> she, she went to Lee Strasberg. She said, I need a job. What what can you do? What should I do? And, she, and he said, hey, why don't you teach? And she was like, teach? I can't teach. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, no, you should teach. So he, she started teaching a little at the studio, and then she she did her own class. And, Is that crazy? Uh, so I didn't know the story. I didn't know the story, but I know Susan uh, doesn't drive. And at the end of the DYOM at like 2 a.m. in the morning, we <laughs> ourselves in front of the studio door. And she was like, Do you want to share the taxi with me? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Taxis <laughs> only, never the subway, taxis only. Yeah, we both were going up, uh, uptown. So, yeah, and it's money, you know, every day, taxi everywhere, it's money. <laughs> right? Mar Marte, hold on one second. Someone's at my door. Hold on one sec, okay? That's Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Sorry about that. Here, here's what you're not going to miss. The water's going to get turned off between 3.30 and 8.30 p.m. today for no reason. In this is New York. Huh? In all the city or just in... No, oh, just my building. It's okay. never all the city. Oh, that would be great. Then you could at least <laughs> suffer with others. That would be wonderful. It's always building to building, random times. Yeah. This thing's happening in Italy, too, so... Yeah, but I miss New York. And I, uh, the next question was, is, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's a great place to be where 
to create change and transformation as an artist and as a human being because that's it's not an easy place where to be it's not an easy place where to survive but it's definitely a place where you can um feel a lot of the truth i think that the truth and new york are two very connected thing and so um, what's your relationship with new york and what's your relationship with the truth well <clears throat> i think it's both i think they're very similar relationships right you gotta love the truth and you gotta love new york both are very difficult <laughs> very difficult to accept to deal with to navigate um i think because You know, I've lived in New York, London, L.A. So I've lived in kind of the three biggest outside of Hong Kong, you know, in Tokyo. I've lived in the three biggest cities in the world. Everything kind of models itself off here, right? This is the hub of the world. This is not America, right? It's the hub of the world. And in a weird way, you are constantly confronted with a reality. And that's what the truth does. The truth confronts, right? Hopefully it you are willing to not fight it, um, but I've fought truth for years, for years and years. The first fundamental truth that uh, I fought was due to my abuse. I was in complete denial of it, complete fucking denial. And it wasn't until I was 20, 21, 20, 20 years old where it hit me because of the way I was looking out a window and how the sunlight hit me and it put me right back in that place the first time I was abused. You know, I mean, so truth is is dangerous, it's enlightening, it's soothing, it's confrontational, it's ugly, and uh, yeah, it's been a very difficult relationship with both. Would I live anywhere else? Probably not. I've thought about it. I love New Orleans. Like that, that would be probably the only other place that I could see myself really being if I had a house down there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a motherfucker here. It's a motherfucker. I've been and, and and because it's a motherfucker, you're constantly in a little bit of exhaustion, just like with the truth, right? When you when you take in the truth, wears you out. It takes your breath. You know, like oh shit, oh, that's right. <laughs> it's not, you know sipping wine you know um and that's new york you know a friend of mine called it it's whiskey and that's true that's that's the truth too whiskey new york whiskey <laughs> you know brutal 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 but you know still tastes good <laughs> it still tastes good if you like whiskey you know so i don't know i mean i i feel like i'll see now that my son is here because um, he went back to Canada for a while. So now that he's here, I do get worried about him experiencing what I experienced, man. This shit was tough, man. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, where else would I have him be? I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know any other place where I would want him to be. So just like the truth, I want him to honor the truth. You know, but it's tough, <laughs> you know, and I know it's going to be tough for him because the truth uh, gets clearer and clearer the more we grow up uh, and we get more confronted with what's real uh, the older we get. Right. So, yeah. And especially like speaking about the truth and <clears throat> some people, I think they really don't know where to begin when it's about truth. Like they yeah. don't know really where to begin. And I I'm recently I'm I've just certified as a somatic um 
practitioner. Oh, I've been working a lot on body. Like mm. I always talk about how my journey with the body started at the Susan Batson studio, because I think that especially with the work with you, it was all about body. Like you find your truth in your body, you know, turn off your mind and open your body. It's been such a difficult thing because uh, our bodies are locked uh down they were like closed we are we bring a lot of emotions shame and trauma and stuff and so acting at the studio for me it's been like a huge open body work and liberation of everything and release and so I feel just to remind people that like when we talk about the truth the truth of, of the character the truth in our life how it is important to begin with the body instead yeah. of any other place you know sometimes we, th we try to rationalize things or and we get into denial as you were saying we get into a lot of places where there's not truth <laughs> yeah. yeah well truth can only be felt physically i think i i think when people are thinking about the truth it's honesty not the truth and there's a big distinction between being honest and telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth Right. Well, like a lot of the time we're honest more than we're completely truthful because we don't want to hurt somebody or anger somebody. Or, um, but, yeah, I, I think when the, you're when you hear a truth or see it, you feel that shit. I don't think that's something you think about. I think that's physiological. Um, and I think it's also, you know, your brain kind of shuts down <laughs> in that moment. Right. Because you're now like you're taking in something, you're absorbing something. Uh, and the whole thing of energy and how we absorb energy, we absorb energy physically first, right? So then how does that work internally on us? Yeah, so I think I don't be, think people think about the truth. I think you feel it. I think the same. Um, what's um, <clears throat> like waiting? I just want to mention this one second with you. Waiting is a big part of understanding the changing, like being in the change. You now sometimes we need to wait. And I know that like many times when we are on stage and we're about to perform, you you are just like, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, it's not time, stay there. And I mentioned that in my book, at the beginning of my book, I say like there are there is a moment for an actor when you are on stage, when you're looking for the right moment. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to rush. You gotta wait, and it's a body thing. You feel the red, the energy raising up, raising up in the body, and it's coming, it's coming. But you don't have to miss the moment, right? And you don't have to rush the moment, right? Is it the same with life? I think to a certain extent, but I think with life, you have to be quick, but don't hurry. I think you get to be. Uh, in your intuition, in your heart, more than in your strategy. And hopefully you had a plan before you entered into something, any level of enterprise. Uh, but yeah, I think to a certain degree, you get to make more, you have more empowerment in, in your life than you do on stage, right? Because stage, you're dictated by the script, by the moment, by the scene, by the story, by the character. Uh, and your life is just you, right? So you you get to go, okay, if I know it, what am I waiting for, right? Like if I know it, 
if this is the person I want to be, the food I want to eat, the thing I want to do, the life I want to have, the the like, what am I waiting for? So we can get caught in the idea that uh, sometimes I think we we rely too much on patience in our lives. I think the this generation, the younger generation, I think that's the benefit of them. That I mean, they don't know how to feel yet. They don't know how to plan yet. They don't want to listen. But they're they're quick. Yeah. They make decisions. They don't sit and you know uh, hedge on them. Um, but for an actor, yeah, yeah, you know, you got to hold it. You got to be. You get to be patient because it builds this momentum and this energy. Because that's the nature of a story. It's energy. You're following a chi from one point to the next point to the next point to the next point of the story. So you gotta kind of hold it and contain it, and then it release it, release into it, and that's craft. I think in your life, yeah. I mean, I hope you could do that. I, I haven't done that a lot. That's a real healthy thing to do, like burst into a moment in your life, you know, uh, and kind of be patient enough to know, you know. The big thing to remind uh, uh, remind everybody that life is a lot about timing. You know, not about coincidence, but about timing, right? So how does that work in terms of waiting? Well, that's an interesting, interesting question, too, because that's physiological as well. That's your body going, is this the right time? I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah. And then exactly. And two weeks before that, you could have been like, I'm going to jump, right? Because life happened, you know? So it's an interesting thing to think about. I, I like the fact, though, that we have to wait on stage. I think it's the thrill of oh, action. <laughs> you know what I mean? Entry, action. I, I, that's a, yeah. It's very important. You know, it's a good energy. Excellent, so. excellent actors are, are all about timing. They know yeah. how to, boom, to explode in their eyes. That's right. And they wait. They hold it, right? They're like, oh, and I'm it's exciting like that because you, you as an audience member, like, what are they going to do? Oh, my God, they did that. I love that shit. That's one of the things I love about theater. Great theater, you're bursting into moments constantly because that's the dynamic of live performance where you have to give that much energy. So, uh, yeah, that's when I was a kid. That's what I really loved about theater. It's like, oh, my God, that shocked me. <laughs> oh, my God, they did that. It made it a lot more exciting. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you the last two questions. Okay. Um, one is speaking about energy and speaking about God. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you believe in God? Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe in a big white guy on a mountain somewhere. I, 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 I consider God energy, right? There's, there's a chi. I believe in that. I'm an Eastern philosophy guy in that way. I believe in the chi of the universe. If that's God, sure. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe master plan thing. No, I'm not that guy. No. Okay. I love to hear that. Um, um, so this is another question, but I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Okay. Um, I ask every guest. And this is something that comes from you, too. Like, there is the no turning back point that I talk to. <laughs> the point of crisis. Amen. Right. And you always talked about Michael Corleone, Al Pacino in uh, The Godfather, to explain that no turning back point, like 
comes there and he's not going to be the good guy anymore. And he That's knows right. he's never going to look back. I That's mean, right. not actually <laughs> and look back. Um, so my question is, uh, what's been the person or the event in your life that represent your not turning back point in your transformational and growth? Oh, hands down, it's a father. It's, it's being a father. That moment, <laughs> there's no putting that kid back in. That kid's out. He's fully baked. He, dude, and, and my son came out screaming. Rawr! Like he didn't come out crying. The nurse freaked out. Everybody was freaking out. He came out like, Rawr! I was like, yo, that moment, I'll still, I get chills even right now thinking of it. Throws me now. Here's the interesting thing: you would think because of this transformational moment, all the following transformational new behaviors and new choices would follow from that. No, that's the real interesting thing. Just because we transform doesn't mean all of our bullshit transforms with us. We still have to work on it, right? Um, but yeah, that moment, I was certain. Holy shit! This is I. I don't even know if it was good or bad to me. It was just like, holy shit. And it was his, he, he was just so loud, Marte. So, I couldn't believe it. And uh, so they pick him up. No, I can't believe that. Oh, man. And they pick him up, they wrap him, and she's in a lot of pain. So the first one that gets to hold him is me. And they tell you that, you know, you put, you take off your shirt so you get skin on skin contact so he feels that warmth. And he's screaming, screaming. I put him on my chest. And he chills out. He just chills out, man. And I was like, all right. All right. I don't know how the hell I'm going to take care of you. Mm. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. But I, I know this is true. This, this moment in the nature of who I am is absolutely true. And I think transformation comes from a great acceptance of something. Right, that we really have to take in some level of something we were running from, compartmentalizing, denying, trying to fix instead of see. Um, so yeah, that was a fundamental truth. Shook the shit out of me, man. And I remember I walked out of the hospital to get to get uh, the mother some flowers, and I I look around, and all of a sudden I just start singing. I'm singing some Bob Marley, you know, singing out loud, walking past people. I was like, you know, you, you know, you're real happy. It was the first understanding of what happiness is because it wasn't without fear or pain or difficulty. It was just, this was wonderful thing. A miraculous thing happened. And it reminded me that everybody's birth, whether they know it or not, is a miraculous event. It really is. It's a real beautiful, transformative event, obviously for them, <laughs> but even for everybody around, everybody, the energy of the world shifts every time a person comes into the planet, right? Because I believe that there's a soul that kind of chooses who you want to go to. And, uh, so I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And that's connected to astrophysics. And that's all about a star that, you know, has been traveling millions of light years and finally gets to choose you know, Cleveland Ford and Susan Batson for this dude. Um, but yeah, it was a huge truth. 
overwhelming truth. And I think because of that, I felt fully transformed. Um, it didn't make me feel better, though. <laughs> like, I didn't go, oh, this is going to be great. I was just like, yeah, that happened. That happened, man. And uh, he's okay. He's healthy, you know. That's the whole thing. You just hope they're healthy, you know, that they come out healthy and happy, you know. You don't even need, you know, you don't even need 10, 10 fingers, 10 toes. You just want some, you know, he's going to not struggle at the beginning. Um, so, and he didn't. His kid, man. This, he is a life force unto itself. So much so that he was sick for a couple days in, at a daycare, at nursery. Well, it's not daycare. It's nursery school now. He was sick at nursery school. All the class ha- were traumatized. By his absence, they had to have a talk about it. They had to pass around his picture to explain, like, this is how popular and bright light this kid is. Now, of course, you tell him. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's not a reality to him. He doesn't think about it. He is not a people-pleasing bone in his body. And for, for someone who abused child, who came from the, the horror of needing to take care of their mother, it is a miracle of miracles to see that this child doesn't need to get validation from anybody but himself. I find this completely fascinating, right? So that also starts to transform you every day because you're starting to see he's not just a mirror, he's a window, right? He, he, Ah. He reflects something and then he opens something up in you. So every day you kind of go through some shit like that with him, you know, or just the thought of him. You know, or the thought of what you're not doing, or the thought of what you need to do. What's happening today? And see, I like the little shit. I like the breakfast and the putting in the bed and the bath stuff. That I, I really dig that. Now, I never thought I was going to dig that, but that I really dig. That's my G. So every time I do that for him, it's a little transformation as well. So, yeah, interestingly enough, that point of crisis, the minute I heard him scream, <laughs> Can't put him back. He's oh, out. He's out. He's out. <laughs> Ain't no going back from here. I'm gonna fuck him up starting right now. <laughs> this is where I start fucking this kid up. <laughs> you know, because all you know, and that's the other interesting thing about being an acting coach, is you know how kids develop sensations. So you know you're doing something wrong. <laughs> it's just you can't stop yourself from doing it. You're not perfect. Yeah, yeah, so you got to take the risk to be yourself and hope and just hope. So beautiful to hear that, especially he's not a pleaser. Like, And I think Ugh. that's a great example. Like we can really learn from kids and, and, and young people because uh, especially for kids, young women, pleasing is... It's a, such a normal thing from, from it's it's exactly it's socialization. It's part of the way a parent treats that. It's so many different things with for, for little girls, right? That you're constantly in subservience before you can gather your own sense of self. It's a really interesting thing. Uh, and really difficult to break and to find a way to have the things that you want and still feel like you're an independent uh, human being. Really interesting. So yeah, I mean, it, it, trust me, as a parent, when you become a parent, you, you don't know how to do it. There is no way that you find. You just keep going. 
<laughs> just keep going. every day. And then go. All right, <laughs> yeah. And then you, that becomes habitual, yes. and then you find a rhythm with it. But yeah, you know, you still fuck up. You still go crazy. You still, you know, such is life. But yeah, it's transformational every day. So in essence, Marte, I have a point of crisis every day, <laughs> and probably will to the kid is to you know. 35, <laughs> you know, have a point of crisis every day. Yeah, that's probably why I'm not willing to become a parent. <laughs> not yet. A crisis every day. Honestly, I'm not ready for that. Not yet. Not yet. You'll see. I don't and then know. it'll be too late. They'll be like, oh, shit, I'm doing it now. And it's a point of crisis every day. <laughs> I can't put this kid back. I'm telling you, man, it's a real interesting thing. You can't, there's no take backsies. No backsies. This is it. Very interesting. So I'm going to ask you the last question. Okay. Uh, my third one. Um, I close up always with this question, which is about becoming. Mm. So who the person Carl is becoming? Who am I becoming? Um, well, unbeknownst to me, I'm becoming a very boring parent. I'm becoming someone who likes to go to PTA meetings and get up early and make oatmeal um, for my kid. Uh, I'm trying to become a gentleman mm -hmm. as well with that. I think there's something about how uh, learning how to really be gentlemanly in the world, especially now with Sid, you know, with an understanding and empathy and, perspective that really you know is respectful and tolerant of people um because i want i want them to see that that's possible and i think you know um i'm fighting for my artist man i think that's still a fight for me i haven't gotten into the place where i have ease with it yet so i think that's hopefully what i'll become you know is have ease with my art and uh not there yet but in search of in search of so yeah but unbeknownst to me real you know I, I we got done with the workshop i had two beers and i came home you know and that was a lot <laughs> it was a lot i was like oh jesus christ yeah it was really like it's in that way now you're just oh this is my life you know and uh about being yeah. Born. yeah i look i like it you know i like watching my tv shows and you know tucking him in and you know i do i like all that little shit i gotta start working on my art though you know i gotta find a way to balance that time um so that's what hopefully i'll become you know is find a way to balance that time so i can do take care of my you know fiscal responsibilities and do what i want to do um and that's what I teach, you know, just how, how we can all do this. So, yeah, it's, it's taking my own advice now. Which is the most difficult thing to do. Always. Physician, heal thyself, right? Go fuck yourself. Every doctor I know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I'll figure it out. But, yeah, I got to start taking my own advice. So there it, ha there it is. This was wonderful. Yeah. This was great, man. It's a I, great podcast. There's wonderful questions and Yeah. You know, yeah. It's really I, great. 
Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I can't wait to see what you do with it, how you edit me up. But anyway, before closing up the episode, I want to remind everybody, Carl Ford is the founder of the Susan Batson Studio that you can find online on the website. I'm going to write all the information down below. Uh, So you can find classes online every day from Monday till Friday. Uh, Classes for beginners and not beginners yeah um, we don't believe in skill levels so everyone welcome everyone can- <laughs> yeah, no, right? no skill levels uh and uh yeah and i hopefully we'll see i mean i would like to join with projects soon so yeah there are classes for projects there are classes for artists who are working on something either is a play a movie a script uh, uh, either you are struggling with uh, uh, the how, how do you say in english uh, the when you don't know how to write right yeah the, the the development of the project right yeah so do a treatment or a script and all that stuff. Yeah, story work. This is amazing because I've been at the studio for years and I've developed my own show. And it's so, I mean, it's so complete. So I suggest everybody to jump and try. Thank Thanks you. for the plug. Thanks oh. for the plug. Of course. Uh, uh, you stay here because I'm going to say you goodbye, but we're going to wrap up the episode. So everybody, uh, follow the Holistic Actress show. Follow Carl Ford, Susan Batson Studio on social media. Go to the website, get the class, and I'll see you to the next, uh, the next episode, hopefully soon. Bye. <laughs>